hard working every day. Not an easy mom, got no time to play. Always on the go. You stuck on the flow, but it's time for the show. Hey, what's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another amazing episode of your favorite podcast, Not For Lazy Moms. We want it all, we do it all. And today, we are going to tackle another generational wealth uh, topic, overcoming financial debt. And we are going to get some free advice from a very prominent attorney who is quite expensive. Uh, before we get there and introduce him, what is going on, Ali? How are you doing today? I, I am so excited. When I told my husband the topic for today, he was like, oh, this must hit close to home for you, huh? <laughs> <laughs> I think we've all been in that position. That's what makes this topic so unique. Um, Chris, you actually probably never really experienced debt for real. Never really experienced debt, but I definitely had some bumps in the road where I started like some business ventures with some crooks basically and took some big chunks, you know, as far as in the loss category. Yes, so this is gonna be good. I think it hits close to home for a lot of people. Um, today we have attorney A. Scott Balding joining us. He is a law partner and a principal member of Reed Smith. He is a former radio and television host and he is a prominent trial and white collar defense attorney. And he's definitely the best in the country. <laughs> he was also my attorney and represented me when I had my little situation on Real Housewives of Potomac. And he gave me excellent advice to clear my name. Thank you very much. Welcome, <laughs> Welcome to the show, Scott. <laughs> I can't take a better promo than that. Keep talking. Yes. <laughs> As my grandmother used to say, if you're lying, keep talking. <laughs> Listen, we all know that you are a serious one. Some people refer you to you as the pit bull of all attorneys when it comes to getting your situation together, and I can attest to that. <laughs> Thank you very much. I'm glad to be here with you all. Thank you so much. So we wanted to talk to Scott in particular because, I mean, he's he's doing it big time. He's been doing it for a very long time in the, in the whole legal world. And he's also a living testimony of the fact that it's not about how much you make, but it's how much you keep. Some people always think just because a person has a very high income that they have a lot of wealth or a lot of savings in their account. And even as one of the top attorneys in our country, not just D.C., in our country, there was a time where his income was overshadowed by the debt. So I would love to hear about this because I would have never guessed that or, or made that assumption. Well, how long do you have? <laughs> we have 35 minutes. <laughs> you know, um, I think it starts with uh, so many of us in our families, uh, we didn't get the talk. We got to talk about the police and what to say and do when the police stop you. But uh, what our parents didn't tell us was uh, about debt about balancing a checkbook. It's almost kind of presumed almost because our parents, uh, most of us at least, made less than what we make right now. Financial education just wasn't a top priority. Paying bills and feeding us and putting a roof over our head was more important than the bottom line proposition. And so uh, for me, I'll be honest with you, through my 30s, I didn't really think much about a credit score until I started trying to buy things like a home or a car. I just didn't think about it. In fact, I remember in my first marriage, I was paying bills and I was being told, you gotta pay these bills on time. I was like, uh, you know, I'm, I'm a government prosecutor in Manhattan, New York, and 
I'll pay him in 60 days versus 30 days. And I remember my first wife looked at me and said, like, are you serious? I'm like, yeah. She said, what are you going to do about your credit report? I said, ah, I'll deal with it when I have to deal with it. I had no concept or precepts of credit and how important it was. And so that continued, quite frankly, uh, probably into my 40s. I mean, I always made good money once I went to the private sector, and I always had really expensive tastes, but I was really living paycheck to paycheck. Wow. And then in 2006, uh, I ran for office in D.C. Uh, I was divorced by then, and it all came crashing down in, in, 20, in, two, in 2006. I guess that was, what, 15 years ago? Yeah. And it came crashing down because I lost that election for city council at large. I had political debt. Uh, I had uh, personal debt because I put all my money into that campaign, including the last couple of months of mortgage payments. And then uh, I had a ex-wife, well, former wife, uh, the mother of my daughters, who I love dearly, who was pressing me for more money. And so it was a three-pronged attack on A. Scott Bolden personally uh, and financially. And while no one ever really knew it, because I had a condo on K Street and I had a big law practice at Reed Smith and was making good money, I wasn't making enough or saving enough to really be able to afford my lifestyle. And wow. during 2006, I'll be honest with you, shortly thereafter, I didn't even have a car, if you will, uh, because my lease ran out and I didn't have the credit score to even get another car. And wow. so for me, reality hit hard and reality um, told me the truth as I looked in the mirror regarding my, regarding my credit worthiness. Wow, that is, it's crazy. 2006 must have just been that year because I remember 2006 so clearly. Um, I had started doing real estate appraisals and I had my own real estate appraisal company and I was making bank. And Chris can detect this because he would basically want to go out of town all the time. In, and in the off season, he's like, let's travel. So I would orchestrate my schedule. As a, as a real estate appraiser, most of the closings happen the first week and the last week of the month. Mm -hmm. So those two weeks in the middle, me and Chris was hanging and mm -hmm. I was bringing in over $10,000 a month just working two weeks. Exactly. <laughs> and the real exactly. estate was booming. I mean, I was having appraisals left and right, did my job, and then I was gone and, and off to wherever we wanted to go. Well, in 2006, the market just like sank. Yeah. yeah. I remember... I had uh, given my apartment where I was renting, I gave them 30 days notice and I was actually buying a condo and it was from a friend of mine. Mm -hmm. So I had been at her at the condo where I was about to buy. I changed all the carpet. I was up in there painting walls, mm -hmm. getting ready to go to closing. The weekend we were going to closing, she backed out on the whole deal. I went from being in a position of making all this money per month, about to buy a condo, to having to call my dad and say, Dad, I need you to bring a truck down here from New Jersey and help me move all of my furniture and let me figure out what I'm going to do. Because my apartment already rented out the, the, the unit I was in because I gave them the notice. So they couldn't extend my lease. So I was literally like, what am I going to do? I had to pack up my stuff, go to Jersey and stay with my dad. And I would still have to drive down to do appraisals and schedule them, you know, hopefully all in the same day and then drive back to Jersey. So I didn't have a place down here, but my business was down here. 
but it was kind of a blessing in disguise because a few months later in October, I went from doing 30, 40 appraisals a month to doing maybe one mm. after that market crash. So when I, back, yeah. Yeah, when I look back on it, I was having so much fun hanging out with Chris, not being responsible with my finances, giving money to my friends, going to the club, buying up the bar, getting sections. I was balling. You couldn't tell me nothing. I was in my, in my early 20s and right. I was not responsible with my money. I got to a point where I had enough savings to last me for a few months. But then I was like, wow, I'm not getting any more business. I'm in New Jersey, stuck up here. And I'm only driving down on the weekends. Thank God I had a car. But then I had to basically get back into the corporate world, which I said I would never do. I hate working on five. I'm a, I'm a person that likes to make my own schedule. But I had to do what I had to do. I started working for a company that owned like malls across the country. And I was the executive assistant to their VP of sales and the VP of marketing. And I had to get back in and grind it until I could afford to work for myself again. But it was a moment that taught me a lot. But when you said 2006, I'm like, oh, yeah, I remember that year. <laughs> it didn't matter. Didn't matter who you are or where you were, between 2006 and 2008, which was essentially uh, the worst recession we've seen since uh, the 1930s, uh, it hit you. And you know, uh, two points. Uh, my condo at the time, which was on K Street, I used to walk to work uh, to my law firm. Um, you know, it was upside down. I was continuing to try to refinance it, but the value was upside down. So I got this great idea, not so great idea, that I would force it in the foreclosure, argue that it was upside down, and try to refinance uh, my mortgage rate as well as my mortgage payment and just get caught up. Because uh, as I said, I had income and and after you know certain months, I had chunks of money and what have you. So there was always money on the come. Uh, the other thing was that as an owner, uh, an equity partner in a law firm, you, you you know these chunks of money was based on the performance of the firm well uh in 2008 no law firm was doing really well they weren't beating their revenue budgets and so even that uh came to um a screeching halt at least the, the expectation that we were going to uh beat budget but i went through a great deal with that condo trying to hold on to it and 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 the second point I want to make, and it captures what you said, sometimes when you're facing debt and financial insecurity, you cannot be afraid to take a step back. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, sometimes you take a step back, you went home or had your dad help you move, yep. you went back into corporate America. Sometimes you got to take a step back and do your thing, right? So for me, until you can get back. You know, the Lord always takes you down before he bring you back up. You yeah. hear me? And that'll make you think more about the Lord and pray a lot more than when you roll and buying up the bar, whether it's you or me as an equity partner. And so uh, around that same time, I met Erica, my second wife, who had great credit, but didn't have, you know, uh, super income, if you will. But she managed her finances much better than I did. And uh, she and a friend of hers um, convinced me to short sell my condo, which I hated to do, uh, and to rent. And so we, we rented a home. We moved in together for both of our benefits. And uh, that was a tough time uh, for me because I didn't want to step back, just like you didn't want to go back into corporate America and stuff. And surely yeah. you didn't want to go back home to Jersey, but you had to do what you had to do, right? <laughs> so we did that. 
And then that's when I committed to getting myself out of this crazy debt. I had IRS debt. I had political debt. I had personal debt. I had mortgage debt. And I didn't have enough income to pay all of that down. And so I sat down at my dining room table and I put a game plan together, much like I would do if I was representing the client uh, in a criminal or commercial litigation matter. Uh, the political debt was dangerous because, uh, you know, the vendors for my campaign, I couldn't raise money because I lost and I wasn't sitting in office. And so they were a danger because I had a personal reputation and I didn't want them going to the press, if you will. And right. so uh, the mortgage debt, when I short sold my home, again, there was this press component to it, which added pressure because I was a former chair of the Chamber of Commerce, former chair of the D.C. Democratic Party. And so the press was always around, if you will. Plus, I was representing Mary and Barry and other high profile matters. And so there was just this added pressure. So what Can I, I did with the public. I want to ask you, mm -hmm. when, you um, when you short sell a home, you sell it and then you have to pay the balance of whatever the value is. Yeah, whatever you could sell it for, right? Right, okay. You sell, you sell it at an at a undervalued market, pay mm -hmm. what you can to the bank. Right. And in the bank, you're, you're technically still on the hook for that gap between right. what the market value was versus the short sale. Right. And uh, the bank, uh, two things happen. The bank will hold it, hold you accountable for that difference, but then they eventually will write it off as bad debt. In my case, they wrote it off as bad debt. And then uh, the other thing, though, is it's on your credit report as a short sell. And it's right. supposed to stay there, stay there for seven or eight years. And so right. we'll, we'll get into how to resolve those types of issues. But um, okay. I sat down at my table and began to a, a game plan, getting rid of the political debt. Again, remember, I have cash flow. So there was, there was, a, there was something to say. You know, there was a, a debt an asset uh, a portfolio to save as long as I had cash flow. So with the political debt, I didn't know whether I was going to run for office again, but I certainly didn't want any bad press. And so I paid everyone 75 cents on the dollar. And they were good with that because vendors and, and campaigns get stiffed all the time. But they were happy to get my 75 because they were coming after me because they knew I was an equity partner in a big law firm. Right. They were able to do that. They had one vendor. Yeah, I only had one vendor that went to the press, and uh, I could live with that because that vendor was who that vendor was. I'll just leave it at that. The short sale happened. Uh, I did get a business article about how upside down I was in my condo, but I didn't really care at that point because I was in financial crisis. And so we moved into this home. Eric and I both moved our furniture in, although she moved her furniture in. My bachelor furniture got sold unbeknownst to me. And, you know, then it was a matter of, okay, you got to pay your debt down, right? And so I always had cash flow, as I said. So I was paying debt down little by little and on a very timely basis, if you will. So I got rid of the mortgage debt through short sale. I got rid of the political debt through uh, them taking 75% on the dollar. And then what I was left with was just monthly debt, what, 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 we, what we call the burn rate. Everybody should know what their monthly burn rate is. I don't care whether it's $2,000, like my 25-year-old twin daughters tell me, or whether it's ten dollars to $15,000 or more for people who have more income and more assets, if you will. Mm -hmm. I didn't even have, I, I didn't have, I had one asset, which was a $150,000 home in Joliet, Illinois, that I bought from my father. 
years before 2006, but didn't own any property and what have you. And so now it was, it was time for me to climb that debt mountain. And so I made sure I paid stuff on a timely basis. And then in the interim, uh, worked on my credit. Yes. Wow. You know, that something you said in the beginning about how our, it's like in school, they don't really teach us about credit scores or credit cards. And, and my parents were the same. They, you know, I'm very thankful mm -hmm. for everything they helped me with, but they didn't teach me those fundamentals that are so important. And I'll never yeah. forget. Um, I was watching an episode recently of Schitt's Creek and the son, David, bought all this new furniture and the dad's like, how'd you pay for this? And he said, my credit card. And he's like, pay for the credit card. And he goes, dad, you don't understand. It's paid for by the credit card. I <laughs> and that was like me. Like I kept putting stuff on a credit card. I didn't really understand that you had to pay it off all at once. Or you had you to pay the pipe Yes. Or, or, I mean, and then the interest rates where it's like you can make the minimum payment, but that does nothing because you have these interest rates. And it wasn't until I met my husband and he's like, what are you doing? Like, <laughs> oh my God. He was like, we just need to start over. And he actually, when we were dating, he paid off my debt on my credit card. And he was like, you can pay me back interest free. He was like, we got to get this squashed if we're going to be married. Like, this is not going to fly. <laughs> That's so interesting because we always uh, joke about the fact that Allie's husband, Matt, and myself, we're both Libras. Mm -hmm. And uh, Chris and Ali are both Leo. So me and Matt have a lot in common. And it's so funny. <laughs> one of my major goals going to Chris and I's marriage was to make sure that all of my debt was paid off. And I bust my tail. Now, before um, the part of the story I didn't tell was after I worked for uh, the company that owns all of the malls around the world, uh, around the country, I was making decent money and I was saving it. I was doing what I had to do. Chris and I were living together. I kind of like moved in. <laughs> I didn't mind. And, and I, you dirty dog. It worked out. I kept his house nice and clean. <laughs> and I didn't have to worry about any bills. <laughs> as it pertained to uh, living expenses. So we began living together. And Chris started complaining. He was like, you all tired nowadays? Like, we can't even travel like we used to. And I'm like, yeah, but I'm working. Uh, I have to be to work at 7.30. And then with the traffic, I wasn't getting back home in Ashburn until six in the evening. So I'm like, I am tired. And then we couldn't just up and go travel anymore because I had to work. So he was like, well, why don't you just work for me? And I was like, no, I'm not doing that because I don't want to be dependent on you as my boyfriend. And then we break up and now I got to start all over and deal with what I already had to deal with. So I'm not doing that. So we came to a reasonable situation, a reasonable agreement. And I was working for that same company still. And I started working for Chris part-time. He had a development company. So then I started maintaining his calendar, cleaning up his office, got everything in, uh, in order. And then it got to a point where he was like, look, let me just, just work for me full-time. And we can have a, an employment agreement, whatever your pay is, like you save your money, do whatever. He said, let's make this work. So we ended up doing that. So when I started working for Chris as his business manager, one thing that I initially did right from the beginning was to figure out all of his expenses. Right. He had several homes. So I'm like, okay, let me figure out how much it costs to run each home. 
on a monthly basis. Right. And I have a binder for, I love binders. <laughs> I, binder. <laughs> I really do, true story. I have a binder a burn rate every binder. home. I, I love my binders. Look, I was supposed to be an attorney. Let me stop you right here. One thing I will say, Scott, I was kind of like you. I was balling, making a lot of money, but I never really was taught how to manage it and, you know, kind of, I, I was irresponsible. So my whole thing was this party and having a good time traveling. You know, bills ain't getting paid, you know, but I'm in my mind, like I make all this money, I'll just take care of it later. But Monique came in and cleaned all of that stuff up and organized everything. And she helped with the development company that I started uh, with, with my neighbor who wound up being a crook and he's dead now, God rest his soul. But at the end of the day, I was getting robbed by these guys and she broke it down and started teaching me a whole lot of stuff about business because I never worked a job before the NFL. That was mm -hmm. all that really worked. So I didn't understand these things. I didn't know and she explained and helped me in that field. Yeah, so I made it where it was easy. He could see uh, every bill, every expense. I had a whole spreadsheet and I had on average how much each bill cost per month. And it allowed us to be in a position where we know exactly how much it costs to maintain our entire lifestyle on an annual basis. So whenever um, I was actually talking about this on another episode we did, Whenever people are like, oh, can you lend me $20,000 or lend me $30,000? I'm like, first of all, our money is tied up in investments. And the money that we have, we pulled out based off of what we require to live every year. So mm -hmm. I got an extra $20,000 to be given to you because I'm not going to take a hit pulling out of my long-term investments, mm -hmm. and, you know, having to pay those, uh, those penalties in order yeah. to give you some money. Yeah. So we don't get it. But yeah, it, it, my recommendation for people when they're trying to deal with their debt and, and, and all of that, what you said, you said, know your monthly debt. That is important because it will show you how much you can spend on a, on a monthly basis. And then it'll help you to determine what is a need versus a want. Yeah. <laughs> you really need. And what do you just desire? Well, keep those desires off the curb. We talked about that on uh, finance 101 with Buffy Purcell uh, for generational wealth. But yes, Scott, I got one question for you. So when you finally sat down and you game plan how to get yourself out of that bad debt and all of those bad situations, how long did it take you to actually clean everything up to where you start turning over a profit and didn't have to, you know, basically you got in front of the situation instead of being behind the situation? Getting beyond living draw check to draw check. Um, I would say it well, two things helped me a great deal. One was my business was growing, which meant I was making more money every year. Mm -hmm. And I knew that whether we made budget or not as a firm, I was generating more business. So as an owner, the more business you generate, presumably the more money you're going to generate for yourself as a, as a lawyer. And so I was always anticipating more income. That's the first thing. The second thing was... I had to, I couldn't wait five, six, seven years for my credit report to catch up. They are notoriously um, uh, inaccurate, if you will. In fact, Congress is looking at how to make, make credit reports not so much a determinative, a determinant of your credit worthiness and looking at different ways to improve credit scores versus it being a hammer. There ought to be an incentive to it. So I'm sorry, you said credit reports are inaccurate. I <laughs> That's like, I, am I living under a rock? I did not know that. They may be accurate. Yeah, go ahead. Listen, they may be accurate for some folks, and they do have accurate information, 
but they are notorious for having inaccurate information with the creditor, your creditors reporting inaccurate, uh, uh, undated, or um, uh, uh, bad dated, if you will. Is that a word, bad dated? Uh, in any event, outdated, I'm sorry, outdated information. And, you know, uh, good credit reporting services or you being vigilant on your credit report is super, super important. I look at my credit report on a monthly basis. Now, most people say a quarterly basis, but given what I've been through, the second thing that helped me vis-a-vis -vis not just more income was that I hired a credit counselor to help me fix things on my credit report or to have certain things removed, whether they were legitimate or not legitimate, in order to increase my credit score. At one point, when I started down this road, my credit score was like 600. I couldn't buy. I couldn't buy myself, and I'm prejudiced if I'm going to put myself on some type of mortgage. And so, um, once I hired a credit counselor, that had mixed results. They were charging me money, but I really wasn't. None of them. Whatever they promised, they never really came through on. And so, what I realized, uh, you all, is that as I watched and engaged this credit counselor, I realized whatever he or she were doing. Hell, if I was disciplined enough, I could do it myself. Hmm. And so what, what I did was I fired the credit counselor and committed to every evening looking at my three credit reports through myficoscore.com, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, on a nightly or monthly basis, because you got to wait 30 days, yep. I was writing letters. Now, back then, you could write letters and contest things, whether... Yeah. Whether you legitimate about it or not, I'm not going to get into that. <laughs> I contested every negative thing on my credit report. And now, electronically, you can go on all three credit reports, but I recommend myficoscore.com because that's really the most accurate. The other ones can be all over the place. Equifax, Experian, and TransUnion, I found those scores to be completely inaccurate, in my opinion. But yeah. on myficoscore.com, they give you a lot of information, and I find those over the last 15 years to be most accurate. And so what, what I was doing was writing the letters or contesting negative information, including positive information, if you will, but, but inquiries, even inquiries, if you will, or the mm -hmm. amount of my debt. So I would pay a bill, like a car note, right? And mm -hmm. then I would contest that amount because it would take the credit reporting agencies two or three months to get the accurate amount. And your amount of debt is as important in regard to your credit score as is um, uh, any, any negatives, if you will, or yeah. even, or even uh, inquiries, if you will, where you're looking for credit, or if you have too much credit. Lots of different factors go into that. So I was writing the credit reporting agencies. I was calling them once I got information. I would call them and report it verbally and ask them to make that change. Um, in regard to tax liens, for example, here's something very few people really know, that once you pay your tax lien off, right, it doesn't come off your credit report. What happens is it, 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 it reports as paid, but it's not off your credit report. It's still 50 or 60 points. So what, what you have to do is you have to get it removed, and that is you have to get it um, what I call reversed. In 2006 or 2008, the IRS, in order to help people who were coming out of this uh, housing crisis, there was a mechanism whereby uh, if you paid off the debt, 
uh, the tax debt. And if you uh, if you met certain other requirements, then you could have that tax lien uh, reversed, if you will, or withdrawn. It's a statute on the IRS code. You have to meet certain requirements, but they aren't that high. You got to be current on your taxes and stuff, and you can have it withdrawn. And then that gets filed with your local recorder's office, and then the credit reporting agent take that tax lien off. This is really, really important. Yes. Because if you're in debt and you can't pay your taxes, mm -hmm. then you're going to have that tax lien for six, seven, eight years. But you can have it withdrawn through this um, relatively new uh, regulatory uh, tax regulation. So I yep. took full advantage of that. And I just worked diligently for two years. And then I started helping others. Um, because I realized it taught me to value whatever my credit report is. And uh, the other thing that helped was, Erica, you know, uh, I'm from Joliet, Illinois. I mean, I, I made it out, as they say. <laughs> well, you know, uh, Chris will know this. You know, as someone who was perceived as having a not high net worth, people were coming at me all the time to borrow money, pay their mortgages, pay tuition. And when I was single, you know, we call that money on the street. How much money you got on the street? Ooh. And I had a fair amount of money on the street. Like I was playing like a studio gangster almost, right? <laughs> sometimes I'd get the money back, sometimes I wouldn't. But you know, man, I was single, you know, I was dating uh, several people. And so, you know, having money on the street wasn't really a big deal to me. Well, Erica put it in all that, whether yeah. men or women, you know, <laughs> versa. She put an end to all of that. And then I, I owe people on the street too. Get into that, and she made me pay all of them back as well. I was like, I ain't not paying them back. They owe me money. She said, <laughs> clean break. Especially from, especially from that young woman, or those three or four young women who keep sniffing around. <laughs> I know you owe them money, and you ain't paying them with money. I can tell that. I want to jump in there. I had a lot of money. I still got a lot of money on the street. Right. And loan a lot of money. Me you, too. you know what really made me stop loaning out? One time, a friend of mine, a really good friend, asked me to borrow $500 to pay his child support. And I ain't even get to hit it or enjoy it. We ain't even had kids at that time. Now, you know back then? Yeah. Okay. And so you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, I know what you're but, talking about. But I'm the, I ain't enjoy that. I didn't do right. that. And make that. He didn't have kids. I ain't have kids, so I'm like, there's no way in hell I'm gonna pay your child support check. I remember when Chris was playing in the league when we first started dating, he would um, you know, have people that want to come to the game. So we would always have to have the ticket orders put in on Wednesday. So they would say, Yes, give me six tickets, give me five tickets, give me four tickets. And then on Sunday would not show up. Oh yeah, um, that's so wrong. Bucks, Those yeah. tickets were at least eighty dollars each, yep. and I don't mm -hmm. care how much they think he has in his account or how much he actually has in his account. You're not gonna ask for eight tickets that cost eighty dollars each and then not show up. And yeah. don't, don't call, no courtesy, nothing. I put it into all of that. <laughs> I was like, okay, if you want to come to next week's game. I need your money for the tickets that you're requesting right. by Tuesday because the order has to be put in Wednesday morning. Oh, oh, okay. We got the, oh, how much they cost? Oh, they're $8,000. Oh, okay. Tuesday come, don't hear nothing. Wednesday come, I put in the orders for whatever we, you know, received. And then on Sunday, oh, I'm at will call. I don't have any tickets. Yeah, because you made us no money. I will see you next week if you 
come up with some bread. And it ain't <laughs> like me, but at the end of the day, I was like, that's disrespectful, number one. It but is. I just yeah. take this man money and, and then don't even call and say, hey, I can't yeah. make it. We could have given those tickets that. to somebody else. Yeah. There's people yeah. standing outside the stadium that want to get in. Back then, they was like winning. So, Bruh, hey, hey. hey. <laughs> it was back in 07, they went to the playoffs twice. Yeah. So, yeah. Oh, I had to end all of that, but I feel you. That, that must well, you know, Erica uh, put a Erica put an end to all of that, to be honest with you. And uh, I was really upset at one point about it because I kept saying, they're my friends. And so she kept telling me, how much how much money your friends owe you? I said, not that much. She said, yeah, let's write down everything that's owed to you. And so now when friends come to me for money and over the last 10 years, Erica and I have been together, married for six, I said, you got to talk to Erica. <laughs> Scott, you your own man. You, we got to tell Erica about this. This is kind of personal. I said, you got to talk to Erica. She count every nickel. She count every nickel. And so um, that saved me because I took my hands off of it because I can be a softie. I'm sorry. I, you know, you give me a sob story. You know, I want to help. <laughs> you know, I want to save the world. So I used to be soft like that. I yeah. used to be soft, but I, I, I put my foot down. And we yeah, not anymore. Yeah. yeah. I can't afford to. And even my enemies out here, my business and political enemies, uh, I would support because I was taught growing up, you know, you help the least of these and, you know, love your enemies and so forth and so on. But I got people who done some awful things to me that owe me money right now. And so you just basically got to stop. But attacking that credit report immediately after short selling and paying off tax liens was really key to the point where I counsel family members now and friends about it on a regular or irregular basis. And it certainly uh, does work. Uh, I've gotten to know the people in the recording office. They said, Mr. Bolden's back. You got another release uh, or withdrawal? I say, yep. And I would take it down there personally so they could record it right away. But it yep. takes discipline and it takes focus. You got to care about this issue and it'll show whereby now, what is that, 10, 15 years later now? I guess we're in 2021. I've got five or six properties, a couple of investment properties, have a very high credit score now, and I nurture that credit score on a regular basis uh, because I don't ever want to go back to that place or that space again. I'm not bragging. I'm yeah. complaining about my journey, and I thank God for delivering me and putting me in a position where I generate a fair amount of your income, if you will, but I am also have savings now. I've got investments. I don't have any uh, loans, my credit lines, because every lawyer has a credit line in a big law firm because of the holdback. Those credit lines are paid down. I know what my burn rate is. And I'm not living draw check to draw check anymore. Knock wood, if you will, because I don't ever want to go back there. I really yeah. don't. If I won the lottery and got $5 million, I'd be scared to death, Chris. <laughs> of blowing it. I, I just would because I don't ever want to be living paycheck to paycheck again. I don't ever want to have a bad credit score. Mm -hmm. I'm 58. I want the next 20 years to just be free of those issues. And yeah. so it's been quite a journey. Yeah. It's, it's, oh, go ahead, Alan. Oh, no, I was just, you know, hearing hearing your story and, and everything. It's almost more beneficial if you're in debt instead of going to someone and asking for money, which is, 
in your mind an immediate fix, but causes a bigger problem, you know, with relationships and stuff. It's almost better to go to that person and say, and not be embarrassed, not be ashamed, be like, here's my situation. Do you have any advice? Like, how do I get out of this? Yeah, right. Go to them and ask for money. Right. I've never, I've never asked anybody for money. I didn't care how hard time mm-hmm. I, if I had to miss a car note payment, I missed it. I remember Chris was left at me one time because the uh, the car company called because I was behind on a payment. And this was during the time where I was trying to rebuild and all of the money that I had made from doing appraisals, all of those people I had given money to, they were nowhere to be found yeah. when it was time for me to get my help. And I was wanting my money back. I wasn't asking them for money. I'm like, the money that I lent you, when you gonna pay it back? Oh, well, I ain't got it. Then they get attitudes when you're asking That's for your true. money that they borrowed to be paid back. You want that little money back? That's what they say. What little money when you were loaning it? I know. Sure. Right? I'm like, I, and it was money that I lent them, so it wasn't. Yeah. I just yeah. gave it to them. They asked to borrow, and I just wasn't on top of getting it back until I needed it. And I remember one time the car company <laughs> called me, and Chris was next to me, and I answered the phone, and they were like, um, "You're behind on your note. We wanted to know when you're going to pay it." And I was like, "Look, I honestly want to pay you." I just can't right now. I think like, I will call you when I have the money and I'll make sure I pay the bill. <laughs> and he bust out laughing. He said, well, at least you're being real with him. <laughs> hey, quick, quick little story about my mother who's no longer with her, rest her soul. Um, she, t- she used to tell me and my brothers and sisters the story of when her and my father were just starting out. He, he was a new lawyer in Joliet, Illinois, and they lived in this little apartment on Duncan Street. And they had me and my brother... I'm sorry, they had me and my sister, and they were behind on debts, and the debt collectors would call her and be real nasty. And so she told me, she would tell us this story. She'd say, now, let me tell you something. I want to pay you, just like you said, Monique, and then she would say, now, at the first of the month, I put all the debts in one hat, and your your <laughs> debt is in that hat. And I pick out five bills out of the 10 or seven that I can pay. Now, if you keep calling me and being nasty, your debt, your bill, ain't even gonna make it in the hat. And so you should be nicer to me, otherwise I don't never pay you. So. That's hilarious. So they call, they would call her, and they would be nice to her after that. Right. Yeah, it's not cute to be me. Like I know I'm not a person that's just not paying my bills because I just don't want to pay my bills. If mm-hmm. there were times in my life where I couldn't do it, I had to figure out which ones was most important. I had to eat first, and then the car came next. I'm like, look. I pay it when I can. And then when I was able to accumulate enough money, I caught myself up and paid it, ended up paying the car off. So they were happy and and I was happy and we were were good. But I do want to talk about the fact that there are some people who always say, if I just could make more money, if my if my income could just go up, if I just could get, you know, that raise, I'll be okay. And truth is, it's not going to be okay. You'll make more money and you'll spend more money. It's all about really getting down to having a plan and being responsible over your income. I've been through it. I'm a living testimony of it. And at the end of the day, uh, I I think there is this this misconception that people who make a lot of money are debt free. And that's why I'm excited about talking about this topic today, because it just shows people you can make $400,000 a year or you can make $40,000 a year. If you aren't responsible with your finances and you really don't seriously, you can still be in debt like the next person. It's all about making sure you have savings, making sure you're putting some aside for yourself 
figuring out what your monthly expenses are, breaking it down and saying, okay, I'm going to take uh, this percentage for, you know, paying my bills. This percentage is for me. This percentage is for whatever. But you have to create a plan and, and seek help. You know, that's the first thing. Seek help. Don't think that just getting more money is going to solve your money issues because it's not the food that's the problem. It's usually the person. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, uh, Monique, the other part that I would just supplement on what you just said is you've got to be you got to be prepared to change your mindset about debt and money. If you don't change your mindset, you can make $4 million a year. You spend money the same way. You could be living paycheck to paycheck. And so you have to really work. Everybody wants to make more money. But two things. You change your mindset on how you spend money. But here's the real kicker, right? The real kicker is uh, what are you doing or are you doing anything to make more money. You see, in this country, in this capitalistic system of ours in America, I'm convinced that the only way you really get ahead where you're not living paycheck to paycheck is to create uh, a system or to, or to work or to be part of something that's going to pay you chunks of money while you're sleeping, right? Mm-hmm. Think about what I'm saying to your listening audience. What, what can I do where I can make more money, chunks of money, while I'm sleeping. Yes. And in every industry, you certainly have those opportunities, but you have to be in a position to do that. Because just working paycheck to paycheck, you can save and put a little aside, right? But that's the hardest way to do it. And I guess after 20, 30, 40 years, you, you'll have a nice nest egg and stuff. But if it's in your 401k, you're going to spend that in your retirement. And so you've got to be looking for the reason you need good credit is because you need to be looking for opportunities where you can make chunks of money and then investing with others to make your money go further and longer. Like right now, I'm looking at opportunities uh, to do uh, multifamily housing or apartment buildings whereby I can invest in them. That's not practicing law. That's me investing so that I can get a check on a monthly basis where I have someone managing that apartment complex, whether it's four or 40 apartments, it doesn't really matter. Looking for financial opportunities, getting the right and the best advice, and you're going to have to put money at risk to make chunks of money. Lawyers are averse to risk, but I'm willing to do something risky because while I've got about 10 more years to practice law, I don't want to be at the courthouse picking up uh, cases trying to work in my 70s and 80s. And I want to retire, right? And I want to live my retirement the way I live my working life. Yes. So it takes discipline. It takes focus. It takes planning. It takes a commitment yes. to be financially free and financially uh, uh, well in order to get there. It's not osmosis. It's not like you can sit down and wake up with an idea and kind of go do it. Right. Uh, it takes uh, discipline and planning. And so few of us say we don't have time. Like, we don't have time to work out or we don't have time for this. That's not the answer. You haven't taken time, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, my first marriage therapist told me something that I never forgot. And that was, you vote with your feet in life. You vote with your feet. I used to say all the time, I want to be home at 5 or 6 o'clock and spend time with my family. But when I was growing my law practice, I came home 9, 10, 11 o'clock at night. 
because my feet took me where I wanted to be. Mm. It took me out in the streets. It took me out there chasing business, representing politicians, raising money, doing all these things. And so believe in your feet. Uh, the second thing that I live by, and I hope you all consider it, and your listening audience is everything in my life, everything in my life, I put in my life. Think about it. Everything in your life, good, bad, or ugly, you put that in your life, your personal responsibility, right? Wow. And so if it's something bad in your life, like a habit, it can be a man or a woman, it could be a job, it could be a friend, right? Through a life audit, take it out of your life. Mm -hmm. If you don't take it out of your life, then you draw something from it. And perhaps we need more counseling because whatever you draw from something negative, you're getting something that isn't healthy for you. And so every year I do a life audit on friends, career, profession, law, you name it. And if something needs to be removed from my, my life, I remove it from my life. It took a yeah. long time to be able to live like that. Yeah. That's a fact. That's, that's, exactly, so that's exactly why I, I quit reality TV. Yeah, right. <laughs> like this is not- Taking something is. bad out of my life. Yeah. Yes, you got to, because Friends. life is way too short. Mm -hmm. um, to piggyback off of what you were saying about you as an attorney, now looking at buying real estate and investing in that way, um, that's not the first thing people are going to think when they say, oh, Scott's an attorney and that's how he makes his money. But you're looking at other opportunities, which is yeah. great. that's how it's supposed to be. Just mm -hmm. like I heard a story about the owner of McDonald's and he was speaking at a college and they asked him, um, they didn't realize who he was at first. And, and then they asked him, what do you do for a living? And he said, oh, I'm into real estate. And the people who yeah. knew who he was laughed. And then everybody else was just puzzled, like, wait, no, he, he owns McDonald's, so why is he saying he's into real estate? People look at the restaurant and think that's the end all. No, he is buying real estate in the top areas all over the world so that he can plant his business there, but the real money is in the property. You know, so yeah. people need to start thinking more. They need to watch his movie on his life. That's how he became uh, owner of the franchise McDonald's. It wasn't because he was buying up McDonald's and, and serving hamburgers. What he did was, if you if you watch that movie, is he stopped buying up prime real estate spots and then bought the franchises to put on there. So he wasn't not just he wasn't wasn't just getting paid off the McDonald's selling hamburgers. He was getting paid the rent for yeah. that franchise to be on his real estate. Genius. Wow. Made a fortune. Smart. Really made a fortune. Genius. Wow. Like, I mean, that's the level of thinking that I want to be a be on. <laughs> that's amazing. Very smart. Because these companies, they sign those long-term leases, like even the airports. Some people think that the airport owns the land. They will sign like a 40, 50-year lease. And once that lease is up, they got to sign it again. <laughs> so, look, that's, that's yeah. a lot of money I'm trying to make. And, you know, you got to be fearless about all of this. Yeah, it's not unattainable. I don't care whether you got a high school education or master's degree or PhD. None of this is uh, without. None of this is beyond your reach. You just got to get smart on it. Read. Uh, you can go on the internet and read about whatever you're interested in, right? And then you have to be fearless and prepared, but fearless about going for it because it's not going to happen overnight. If yeah. you're going to make money while you're sleeping, it's what you do strategically while you're awake. Exactly. And so I tell people that all the time. 
we talked about on episode 16, we did a generational wealth series episode on uh, branding on brand building your business. Uh-huh. And I told a story about when I went through a very low moment, my sister told me, she said, you need to get a good book. That's going to help you prepare you for the next journey. And you need to read that while you're on your journey to work every day. Mm-hmm. And I read a book called Million Dollar Habits by Brian, uh, by Brian Tracy. Mm-hmm. And to this day, I still use the tips that are in that book. It changed my mindset, which is why I love what you said, because my motto is if you can change your mind, if you can change your mindset, you can change your generation. And I truly believe that it's all about the mind. People have stopped reading. Reading is so important. People would rather go on social media and flip through pictures and, yeah. and, and read some little motivational quotes, but won't pick up a book that can actually give them the knowledge that people who have made it are pouring into in a book. So yeah. I love that book because it literally taught you the habits of millionaires and how their mindset had to be changed in order to them in order for them to make it to the next level. So I, I still I wholeheartedly suggest that book. I you know I, I'm not a sponsor for it. I don't know Brian Tracy, but I love that book. You know, uh, Monique. The other thing is that that for your listening audience, don't be afraid to fail or to be imperfect. Mm-hmm. I'm not perfect at what I'm espousing on right now. You know, I have my moments where I want to go buy an Hublot watch, and it may have a diamond bezel on it. And I got 10 or 15 watches. <laughs> not bragging, I'm complaining again. I want that Hublot watch with that diamond bezel. The one you saw in Congress, I love that watch. It had green. It had green. I, I want to put some emeralds on it to really make the green come oh out. My gosh. And my wife and Erica tell me, you don't need that watch. And I have a great one that's similar without the diamond bezel. And so, you know what? Uh, I wait until I get more bonus checks, if you will. And then I treat myself and I treated myself to that watch, right? That's not being perfect. I'm imperfect about that. I don't need that watch. I got plenty of watches that I got a Breitling on right now that I can wear <laughs> every day. But you know what? You're not going to be perfect at it. Um, I gamble with my brother-in-law. We go to blackjack table, right? And no people say, how could you gamble that money away? Well, I have to do something for myself. I, I enjoy blackjack, right? It's not like I'm on the corner in, in Joliet, Illinois, tossing dice with my homeboys like I used to do growing up, right? And so I do blackjack. And, you know, you never do, and you, you don't spend the mortgage money or, or your savings or what have you. Right. I take disposable income. Now, 10 years ago, I would go and I'd take $500 with me. Now, you know, years later, and my financial situation is better, I take more than that, but I never, I never uh, um, uh, spend it all while I'm, in, while I'm gambling, and I always leave with something, because right. again, that's that discipline and stuff. So in any event, you can be imperfect, just make sure you're making enough money to be imperfect. Yes. Right. You know, and, you, you, no, what's crazy is I remember when I first got drafted, I was third pick overall. So I came into a you know nice chunk of change and I really hadn't bought anything. I remember my my first NFL season, I slept on an air mattress <laughs> with a small car clock by the bed. And the only reason I did it because I knew, you know, growing up, we didn't have a whole lot. We wasn't broke, but we didn't have a whole mm-hmm. lot. So I felt in my head, I can save this money and I can wait on this long term. You know, I basically had ordered some furniture. It was going to take like six months to come in. Yeah. Well, I should get in a bed, you know, get a good night's sleep for practice. 
but I really was kind of holding. Damn, Chris. <laughs> no, I was I was tight with money back then. Yeah. And, but Deion Sanders told Taking me my advice to a whole nother level. <laughs> that's right. That's right. I, I talked to Deion Sanders one day because he was my teammate when I came into the um the uh, my rookie season with the in, in, uh, with the was- with the Washington team. Mm-hmm. And Deion said, "Listen, have you bought yourself something nice?" And I was like, "No, nah, not really." He said, listen, you worked your whole life to get to where you are. You need to enjoy some of that money. Mm-hmm. You die, you can't take that money with you. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And watches and blackjack are my uh, two challenges. Right, right. <laughs> yeah. My favorite thing to spend on is travel. Because it's yeah. the experience. Like it's, it's, you know, especially with the kids. Like, I'm just one of those moms. I can't travel anywhere out of the country without my kids being there. It just, like the anxiety and just, and also the longing for them to want to experience what I'm experiencing as well. Um, but if I will like not spend much all year just so that we can have a huge trip mm-hmm. and then that we spend on. So yeah, just kind of like realizing what things are, you know, must haves and then making a way to, to have those things. It's, well, it's, that's right. So, but this was a great episode. Ali, did you have any experiences you wanted to share with us before we close out? Well, you know, I did want to add one more thing that you, that you were mentioning about, you know, being organized and, and you don't want to live paycheck to paycheck. You know, it's not a sprint. It's a marathon. Think of, you know, um, but it's also, as we spoke in a former, uh, in a previous episode with estate planning, it, it's for those who you leave behind too, you know, focus on, on building the wealth for, for your family and for your kids and, you know, investing there. Yeah, yeah that's so important. That is so, so important. And, estate planning that's a whole nother show yeah. uh, when you've got kids because uh you can be rich right but to be wealthy which is a whole nother level yeah long-term uh riches if you will yeah. uh dispositive uh year over year uh riches and you're leaving it for your family uh that's so very very important my father always says what difference does it make what i leave you all if you're happy or sad, I'll be gone. You'll never have to argue with me about what I leave you. <laughs> and I don't care, he says. He 87. He says, I don't want to talk about what I'm leaving, who, and who's going to be the executive. It's going to be what it's going to be. Right, you know right. You ain't going to never argue with me about it. It's a beautiful thing. <laughs> I'll be gone. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, but that's, that's important. You're absolutely right. Good point. Yeah. No, I love that. So just looking back on some of the tips that uh, Scott has provided us throughout the episode for the people listening, go ahead and get your notepad. If you have the best notepad to have is our Not For Lazy Moms notebook. So if you don't have one, go ahead to our store, shop notforlazymoms.com or visit our website, notforlazymoms.com and get you your whole life in an inkpen. So anyway, uh, the first tip was to take a step back. Um Look at everything that you have going on. Take a step back. Don't put the pride to the side. Take a step back. Number two, make a plan. Number three, know your monthly debt. Number four, work on your credit. And most importantly, number five, change your mindset about money. <laughs> it is a means to an end. So uh, the, the faster you become more responsible over what you have, you'll show the universe that you're prepared to have more. If you can't manage what's in your your hand 
How are you going to manage a whole garage full of anything? You're going to be completely confused and overwhelmed. So learn to manage what you have. Once you master that, when you do get more, you'll find yourself in a, in a much better situation. So thank you, Scott, so much for coming on today. This was an excellent thank topic, you. excellent conversation. So we really enjoyed it. Y'all can look in the description if you're watching our YouTube show right now. I have all the information for how you can follow Scott on social media and where to find him. If you need a good attorney and you're in a jam, <laughs> call Scott. <laughs> if you're in a tight spot, Otherwise, you don't want to see me. <laughs> thank y'all. Okay. Yeah, thank y'all so much again for listening. Um, make sure you subscribe to our YouTube channel and follow us on all platforms. Until then, we will see you in two weeks. Take care.